Good morning. It's really exciting to see so many people here this morning, and thank you for being here, for making the wise choice to get yourself somewhere where people are worshiping God and trying their very best to dig deep into the Scripture and live their life by Jesus' teachings. And that, that is what we're all about. We're here to help each other do that. It's a, it's a privilege to get a chance to try to help you do that, and we're thankful for all of you who contribute, who are helping us do that. The more that we try our best to live from Jesus' perspective, the more we try to experience this idea of being behind the curtain, to be in the presence of God, and to make the choices that we make um, strategically based on his teachings. The more we do this, the more we uh, realize that we are being set apart. We are different. That, that ultimately holy does mean pure and clean and all those wonderful things that we normally think of in the word, but at its core, we start to really get it. We start to really understand and experience that it really means you're, you're just different. You're kind of cut off from all the other perspectives that are out there. It's really different. And Jesus was so upfront with us and he told us that we would be not only misunderstood but actually persecuted by the rest of the world we can't expect everyone else to understand things we're barely learning how to understand ourselves just by being in the presence of God the other side of that truth though is that he really made it equally clear even more clear I believe that on the inside of the curtain on the inside in the presence of God he expects his people to be one he expects us to experience a unity, a peace, a sense of purpose, a sense of love, a sense of oneness that nobody else in the world can even imagine. And for whatever reason, we sometimes either miss one or the other. And I believe this breaks the heart of God. This morning, what we're looking at is especially what this idea of peace means. And it's so much deeper than what we normally think. Um, as, as we look at what Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. I want you to remember two things. And by the way, if you're following along with your insert in the bulletin, um, this, is, this is there for more than anything a Bible study later. But some of you like to take notes, so it's in there. We're following this along here. But here's uh, all of the scriptures I barely have time to even just kind of reference are in there if you want to go check them out later. Don't just take my word for it. Here we go. In Proverbs 6 and many, many other passages, it makes it so clear that one of the things God hates the most is dissension. In every single list of sins, we, we tend to focus on the ones that have to do with like legal issues or things that people outside of the kingdom even agree with us that those are wrong. Or sometimes we focus on specific ones, things that have to do with sexual sins or things like that. And we absolutely cannot just take those off the list because it's not in fashion anymore. We have to honor what God says about it. But one of the things that Christians do a lot, and, it, and I believe God just is so tore up about this, is every one of those lists has stuff about anger and slander, gossip, causing dissension within the family, within the family of God. Every single one of those lists contains those sins. And for some reason, we're okay with those sometimes. We, well, you know, that's how Christians are. Sometimes just, that's just the way it is. And that's not the way it is. God has made it really clear that he hates dissension. He hates anger and slander and all the things that rip relationships apart. But he loves unity. 
and he counts peacemakers as family. Those are the people he says, those are my children. We've been looking at the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, verses 1 through 10 recently. Tim Mackey of the Bible Project explains that Jesus is doing something more than just giving us a bunch of really cute little sayings here. He's, he's outlining what it looks like to live in the kingdom, what it looks like to live from God's perspective. And he's not just kind of saying like little platitudes. He's making statements of fact. He's saying, let me open the window here. Let me rip the curtain for you right this minute and let you, give you a glimpse. This is true. This is what happens. God empowers the poor. God comforts those who mourn. He satisfies those who crave righteousness. He shows mercy to the merciful. He reveals more and more of himself to the pure in heart, the people who are 100% committed to him. And he calls peacemakers his children. And in the scripture, making peace is so much more than about how we feel. It has very little to do with how we feel. It has everything to do with healing and with teaming up. Let's talk about that for a second. The words peace, that we translate peace. From Hebrew, it is um, shalom, and in Greek, it's eirene. Both of those mean so much more, so much deeper and wider than the word peace in English normally does. It's not a bad translation, it's just shallow because we don't have a good word for it. But peace in the scripture, it has to do with healing. It has to do with restoring what is broken. It has to be, do with completing something that's incomplete. It, all of that in the, in the direction of accomplishing something specific. So when we make peace, at the core of that idea is, is not just stopping the fighting. That's kind of the first step. That's kind of like, hey, 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 stop fighting. We've got to work together here. The point is the working together. The point is creating the unity, creating that. So if you're taking notes, here's what I would recommend. You could say to make peace means to restore, to heal, to complete, and to team up. I, I, I kind of picture in my head <clears throat> some old cartoons. Anybody besides me ever like cartoons back in the day? or the did you, Okay, good. So I'm not the only one. Uh, there were a bunch of them when the Transformers came out. There were a bunch of them, um, even Power Rangers, a bunch of those kind of jumped on the bandwagon. But they'd all do their own thing, but then they'd also have, when they really needed it, they'd have this option where they'd all combine and make this one ginormous robot thing. Does anybody remember this idea? And, and that, that robot was bigger and more powerful than all of them put together somehow. It, it, it didn't make any sense in any of those stories. But what that is, though, is a really cool idea of, of what's called synergy and exactly what happens when God puts his whole body together. And that's exactly what the scripture calls us. It's the body of Christ. Would you read these two scriptures with me off the screen? Let, let's read this together. Come from Colossians. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you were called to live in peace and always be thankful. The last several weeks we've been looking at Dr. Stephen Covey's Seven Habits for Highly Effective People. I know he's kind of a little creepy looking, just if you didn't know who he is. 
But the dude is awesome. Like his books and his stuff is so practical and so real. I love that. I'm going to really quickly just walk you through how this would apply to the idea of peace. We're going to keep moving on. We're actually going to look at numbers five and six on his list this morning. But here's how you would apply those big ideas that we did in this area. If you're trying to make peace. Number one, he said to be proactive, to act within your circle of influence. In that, it's basically a verse we're going to see in a second, Romans 12, 18. But it basically says, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. We are responsible to do everything that we can do in those directions. We cannot control the choices other people make. That's it. So you focus on, you have to make sure you do your part. And then you let God handle the rest. To begin with the end in mind, the end has to be clear. We have to realize we're not just trying to stop fighting. We're trying to unite and work together. So the choices we make, even to resolve conflict, need to be going in that direction. We always need to realize, wait a second, the reason the devil wants us to fight is so we don't get the job done. What do we need to do to stop the fighting as soon as possible so that we can unite to get the job done? Putting first things first, thinking win-win, I think it's almost obvious exactly how those work in this same idea. But here's number five. Covey says, seek first to understand, then to be understood. If you've ever been in a conflict situation, which is kind of like me saying, if you've ever breathed, if you've ever experienced life in Tennessee, Okay, this is all of us. Okay, this is every single one of us. If you've ever experienced conflict in your life, then you know that we always are tempted to go in with at least some barriers up. We're always tempted to go in. We, we, we're worried. We're a little bit afraid. Maybe we're angry, but we're walking in there. We've got an agenda, whether we realize it or not. But that's usually the worst possible way to do that. How many, of, how many know what I'm talking about when I say that at the end of a conflict, sometimes you realize you weren't as different as you thought you were at the beginning? Has this ever happened to you? A few of you? Okay, it's happened to me a lot. You start talking about something, you're like, how in the world can you possibly have a brain and think like that? And at the end of the conversation, you go, you know what? They actually think a lot like I do. Yeah. It's kind of scary and kind of weird, but that's how it works. Seek first to understand, then to be understood. Or as James said, and if you remember, I said a couple weeks ago, read the entire book of James if you want to know about wisdom. Just keep going back to James. It's so practical and so big. But he says this, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. He also writes this, and as I read this, listen how well this harmonizes with the Beatitudes and all these other huge ideas we've been walking through recently about wisdom. There's specific ideas. It's incredible how the Bible harmonizes that well. He says, but wisdom from above is first of all pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of joy and reap a harvest of righteousness. As far as I know, uh, Dr. Covey actually invented this next word 
uh, his, his sixth step, his sixth habit of highly effective people is to synergize. Uh, it, it comes up as a, as a spelling error every time I type it into my computer. I know that. But he, he bases it on the, on the word synergy, which I just described, the big robot thing and all that. When you, the sum of its parts is bigger than the whole. When a team working together can accomplish more than any one of those people could have, even on any other team, let alone alone. Have you, you know what I'm talking about. This can happen sometimes. And he says, this is what people who are highly effective look for. This is the kind of strategies we're praying for and looking for in the kingdom of God if we're actually trying to get his stuff done. We're trying to do whatever it takes to combine so that we can work together under the head, which is Christ, and get stuff done. So again, peacemaking on the surface is resolving conflict. That's where we're going to spend most of the time today. But again, I really just want to start with the end in mind this morning. I want it to be so clear in our heads that the reason we have to resolve conflicts, the reason we cannot tolerate things like gossip and slander and all the other things that are out there that tear us apart, is because we're, what we're really supposed to be doing is uniting and loving and drawing people into the presence of God that way. And when we focus on that, stuff gets done that we could never get done on our own. It's the very stuff that Jesus dreamed of all along. That is why Jesus said that peacemaking defines God's children. The peacemakers will be called the children of God. This is what we do. This is who we are. In fact, would you say that out loud? In the, in it, all these purple words, by the way, are the ones that you can write down if you're writing them down. But I really want us to get this one. Let's say this. Peacemaking defines God's children. Peacemakers will be called the children of God. The, the, basically, just basic logic here. Whenever Jesus says something like that, the opposite is probably true too. Okay? Those who are not peacemakers will not be called the children of God. This is who we are. This is what we do. And something is deathly wrong if that's not who we are. This is not the only place he said that. It's all throughout his teachings. It's central. John 13, 35, Jesus said that our love for one another will prove that we are his disciples. In John 17, verses 20 to 21, he prayed that we would all be one. That all God's people would be one. So that the world would believe that God sent Jesus. Next week, we've actually got a guest speaker. I'm so excited about this. He's going to take us way deeper into John 17 and into how I believe God is trying to call us as a church into um, applying that. I'm so excited about that. But let me just say that it, all of this builds on each other and ties together, and we've got to keep going. Would you read 2 Corinthians 5.18 with me? And as we read this, I want you to realize <clears throat> Paul's talking about two gifts here. One is, in the middle of chapter 5, he's just going through all the amazing things God has done to make it possible for us to even know him, let alone be called his children. But he also mentions a second gift. It's, and the second gift is a responsibility. We can't miss either one. Both of them are important. Let's say this together. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. That's our task. That's what we do. We make peace between God and other people. That's why we have to have peace 
with each other. Romans 12, 18, again, this is that one I mentioned earlier, the idea of uh, Cubby says that we all have a circle of concern, which isn't all the concerns in the world, but it's all the things that really tear us up about. But within that circle of concern, there's a smaller circle of things you actually could do something about if you tried. That is your circle of influence. That is what Paul is writing about here. He says, if possible, let's read this together. If possible, as long as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So up to this point, I'm trying to give you an overview. I'm trying to be encouraging. I'm trying to let you know, yeah, absolutely. You, you personally can't fix everything. You can't control everybody else. But everything else now, if you, if you somehow dozed off or something, would you wake back up? Would you listen? Because listen, this is what we can do. This is the stuff that we can do. This, everything else we're going to look at right now is the practical stuff that this is what, as peacemakers, as children of God, this is what we're held accountable to do ourselves. We can't do stuff beyond this, but we can do this, and God expects us to. One of the cool things that's been happening recently and starting to become the new normal is we're working in teams a lot more. And the team that I get to work with includes my dad, Billy Canerium, and uh, Noah, and several other people. And we've been able to kind of, in advance, look at all these messages and kind of trade ideas and everything. Uh, interestingly, this, this past week, um, I talked to dad and Billy, and I said, do you guys have some stuff about peacemaking? And they both gave me the same book. They each had a copy of this book. It's called Peacemaker, The Peacemaker by Ken Sandy. So I kind of felt like God might be trying to tell us something. Um, they, that, that was both the input. Um, my dad had a little bit more and there was some other stuff, but I, I thought that was cool. Let me just say out loud, I've spent so many hours this week whittling down my original message because it was there was no I, I had so much out of this book I wanted to share with you there's we're just going to barely touch on it but if you are in a situation right now where you are conflict is absolutely destroying you I recommend this book I've got two copies on my desk right now we can work this out it's very practical very awesome we can make this happen but let's let, in a nutshell here is his message he says um, we should look at conflict as an opportunity to glorify God. Conflict is an opportunity to glorify God, to serve others, and to grow to be like Christ. One, one of the really interesting things in the book to me, because I just, I, I like big ideas, I'm a big idea kind of person, but he talks about what he calls the slippery slope of conflict. And he diagrams how all of us, in one way or another, we're wired to act a certain way. And, and in the middle are several possible good options. We'll go there in a second. But just kind of, you can put yourself anywhere on this. It doesn't all fit in there, so I'm going to fill in the outsides of, of the, the borders there for you. But this is, this is how this works. Um, there, in the middle are several really good possible peacemaking responses. On the other side are the extreme passive and aggressive ones. Okay? And I know there's such a thing as passive-aggressive as too, but anyhow, that's, that's another story. Here we go. On the side of a, a passivity, on the, on the side of trying to avoid conflict, the three top offenders, the three ones that we're tempted to do the most, those of us that are wired that way. And by the way, that's me. If you don't know me, this is, this is the, these are the kind of things that I'm tempted and have been guilty of doing. Number one is denial. This really isn't a big problem. It's really not a problem at all. We're good. 
That's not true, and it doesn't solve anything. The next one is, even worse, is flight. I'm out of here. I'm done. I am so committed to not fighting that I'm just gone. I'm de- for, okay, forget that relationship if necessary, but I'm not going to fight you. The, the ultimate one, the ultimate passive, the ultimate selfish one is actually suicide. Both of these end in death. But you're, you're so committed to not fighting someone else, to not living in conflict, that you're going to take yourself out of the entire equation. Obviously, none of those are God's will. On the other side of, the, of this whole slippery slope of conflict is the ultimate aggression things. One is physical assault, where you actually get, you get so mad, you don't know how else to handle this, you actually physically hurt someone. Beyond that, you, you, maybe you do or don't physically hurt them, but you, it's litigation. You actually, you make sure that the law gets on your side. You're going to hurt this person one way or another. They're going to feel the pain of that conflict. They're going to remember that that relationship is over the rest of their lives in very specific ways. And beyond that is actually murder. That's the ultimate one. You get so upset about this conflict that you're willing to take the other person out of the picture, no matter what that caused you. And obviously none of those things are God's will. In the middle, there's a bunch of different ones, but we're going to focus on the two ones that we have time for and that are most biblical this morning. That is what he calls overlooking and reconciliation. It's important that we understand that overlooking is not exactly what it might sound like. It doesn't mean, like what Dean was reminding you about this this morning, it doesn't mean that we just say, that's not a big deal. That's the denial option. That's the bad one. Okay, here's what this means. Read these two scriptures with me aloud, if you would, again. Colossians 3.13 and Proverbs 19.11. Here's the one from Colossians. Paul writes, Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. And from Proverbs, Sensible people control their anger. They earn respect by overlooking wrongs. Better way to say overlooking might be choose your battles wisely or possibly focus on your circle of influence, not your circle of concerns or somebody else's circle of influence. It's not that you're saying it's okay. It's not that you're saying it's not a big deal. It's not that you're running from it, but you focus on what's really important and you say, you know what, at the, at the end of this day, it's more important that we work together than that you and I agree on every single little detail. But restoration, reconciliation, it is an even bigger one. And my dad reminded me um, this week of a, a story I'd actually forgotten about, and I'm so thankful he reminded me. It was a powerful moment from when we were growing up in Papua New Guinea. Um, there, was a, there was a point where the ladies' fellowship in Gadati had um, started this disagreement. There were two ladies that got it started, and it kind of sprouted out. Pretty much all the ladies in the church were involved somehow, which involves everybody in the church. I'm sure you understand how that works. And it was this close. It was this close to the whole church just splitting in two. It was a big, big deal. And they tried a bunch of different things. And it finally came down. The last effort was to get my dad to speak to all the ladies. And he, he prayed about this. He wrestled with this. It was a huge, big thing. And uh, he, he felt like he knew exactly what God told him to say. So he tried it. So he got them all together. And, of course, they all sat on two separate sides of the room. Some over here, some over here. And he told him, he said, you know what, I, I, this is what I feel like God is telling me to do this morning. 
He said, I don't really feel like I have a big message or a thing to, to explain to you, but I know that at your hearts, you all want to obey Jesus. At your heart, you all want to do the right thing. At your heart, you all are doing what you're doing because you think you're right and you want to do the right thing. So here's all I need you to do. I need you to ask these two questions, and I'm just going to read these scriptures. Every time I read a scripture, I want you to ask yourself these two questions. Number one, is there something in this passage that God is saying me, that I should do that I'm not doing? And the second question is, is there something in this passage? But he started walking them through these scriptures we've looked at this morning and many, many others we just don't have time for. But he's just reading it. And ever so often, every couple of verses, he'd say, so again, just pray. Is there anything that God is telling you to do that you're not doing? Is there anything God is telling you not to do that you're doing? And you keep reading. And he got to the end and he asked him one more time, is there anything in this scenario, any of these scriptures that are just so clear about how to resolve conflict and how important it is that we work in unity, is there any of this, that, you, as you're hearing this today, that God is saying you should do that you're not doing? Is there anything that you're hearing that God is saying don't do, but you're doing it? And he said, I just need you to pray about that and do whatever God tells you. He said it was really scary because for about five minutes there was nothing. Nothing. Silence. Nobody got up. Nobody, nobody did anything for five minutes. And then finally, one of the ladies, one of the ones who had started it all, stood up, walked across the room to one of the other ladies that started it all and apologized. Started crying. They hugged. Then it was almost a full minute before anything else happened. Everybody's just kind of watching them like, whoa. Praying a little bit more. And then little by little, this started happening. People are walking across from both directions. And by the end, after about over half an hour, some reconciliation finally happened. Just by asking those two questions and actually looking at what God said about conflict. So as we wrap up this morning, we've already looked at several of these. We're barely scratching the surface. Again, you can borrow that book. We can do, we can come and talk. I'd love there to be peace. But I'd like to look at um, two scriptures from later on in the New Testament and then the words of Jesus himself that I mentioned last week in Matthew 18. And as we look at these last scriptures, I'm going to give you the same challenge my dad gave those ladies in Gaudete. Just listen. This will probably apply to all of us in different ways. But is there anything in this? that you realize, that's pretty clear, I'm supposed to do that, and I'm not. Is there anything that as you listen, that's pretty clear, I'm not allowed to do this thing, but I, I actually do that. And would you respond the way you need to respond this morning? Ephesians 4.15 says, Speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. James 3.18, again, Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. And these are Jesus' steps for how to resolve conflict. These are straight from the words of the Lord himself. If another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. But if you are unsuccessful, take one or two others with you. And go back again, so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If the person still refuses to listen, 
take your case to the church. Then if he or she will not accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. Which again means the way we reach out in love to everyone. It's just you realize this person is no, la- no longer looking at life from the hi- behind the curtain. There no longer can be quite as tight of an ally to team up with you as you'd like them to be. And maybe they will be again, but not at that moment. Behind the curtain, we stop judging. We stop justifying. We literally are willing to jump into the middle of a fight to stop it. But more than anything else, we are sowing peace. We expect that righteousness has to happen. And we know that we must invest our time, our money, our talents, everything into creating unity, into creating love, into creating synergy, into creating all of these things that God has told us to create. And whenever the devil tries to mess that up, whenever we try to mess that up, we've got to say no, and we've got to stop it. We've got to stop it right then and fix it so that we can keep putting our energy into the things that really matter. So this morning, as the band comes up and starts to play, this is what I'd like you, each one, to do. Just silently, wherever you are. I want you to ask God what he would like you to surrender to him and what he would like you to choose to do to respond. Here's what I mean. A lot of times, especially in the moments when we realize that we are the ones who are wrong, which is every single time the case when you have an issue with God. Do you know what I'm talking about? If you ever, if that conflict that you're really struggling with right now is you and God, and you're realizing this morning that what he's putting on your heart is instead of trying, seeking first to understand him, you're trying to get him to seek first to understand you. And this morning you realize how backwards that is. There comes a, there comes a moment when you have to say, okay, I, I still don't get it, but I surrender. Peace with you, God, is worth more than anything else to me. Or maybe it's something with someone else, someone specific has been laid on your heart this morning, then you need to respond that way. Maybe it's something, maybe there's right this minute, you're at one of those blessed seasons in life and you're not in conflict with anyone right this minute. There's no major conflict between you and God. Praise God, and I mean that with all sincerity, but I guarantee you he still has something he wants you to do about this message this morning. Something he wants you to choose to do. Some bigger, better way to invest in peace and joy and love and expect a a harvest of righteousness. Would you, as you stand, as you sing, as you pray, would you pray that prayer? Would you take this home? Would you pray this at home? Would you respond? One more thing. Please keep playing for just a second. This morning, one more thing could happen. You're always invited to come up here to make any kind of decision you want. You can come and pray here. People can pray with you. But there are several people who have volunteered this morning for this particular message. to be. They're going to kind of be at the back as well as watching here. If they see anyone kind of, if you'd prefer to not come to the front, you can kind of quietly go to the back to pray with someone this morning. If that's better for you, try that. But let's all come to God now.